Hey friends, just quickly, my new book, The Proof is in the Plants, is now available. Get it from plantproof.com forward slash book. Thanks so much for all your ongoing support, and I hope you enjoy this episode. We have not done any work as to the accumulation of all of these things. They've tried to set toxic levels on each individual one, which I believe are completely ridiculous anyway but no one's ever looked at all of these different exposures. So you're dealing with children today being born with over 200 chemicals already in the umbilical cord. So that's from mom, that's from baby products, that's from whatever your mom is consuming. Your baby is already exposed to chemicals. So my whole thing is let's raise the awareness, let's shift the habit. No one wants to be inconvenienced. The consumer demand of pushing back on these products so that we can have healthy alternatives. Let's keep improving the products, but let's just change the exposure that we're getting from all of these things. That's Darren Olean, and this is episode 125 of the Plant Proof Podcast. Friends, welcome back to the Plant Proof Podcast. I hope that you've been well. If you're new to the show, then welcome. It's great to have you here with us. Today's episode is with Darren Olean, New York Times bestselling author and co-host of the hugely popular Down to Earth show on Netflix with Zac Efron, a show that explores solutions around the world that stand to improve human and planetary health. Before I tell you a little more about Darren and this episode, I do have one quick note. My book, The Proof is in the Plants, hits shelves in just a few days now, May 4th, uh, in time for Mother's Day. Could be a great gift idea, actually. So if you haven't got your copy, now's the time to make sure that you do place your order. I've been told this week Amazon Australia has sold out but are restocking very soon. You can also find the book on Booktopia, Dimix, uh, Readings, etc. For, for Australians. And for international listeners, Book Depository is the best website and they offer free shipping globally. Now, I've been asked by many people about the date of publication in other countries. So the book will be on shelves across Australia from May 4th, but the date that it will be on shelf in, say, USA or UK or Canada and other countries has not yet been released. So if you are from overseas and really don't want to wait, just go to Book Depository, go to their website and you can order there. Not only will your purchase be supporting your health, through the information in the book, but the planets too, with 100% of the proceeds that I receive being donated to the non-for-profit organization Half Cut to help save the Daintree Rainforest. And each book will save two square meters of the Daintree Rainforest from deforestation. Now, theoretically, that means if just 20,000 people listening to this episode right now, which is just a fraction of the listeners. Buy a copy, that's 40,000 square meters we can save overnight, which is not a bad start if you ask me. 
If you do want to get involved in this, head to plantproof.com forward slash book and grab your copy. I have links to all of the retailers from this landing page. That's plantproof.com forward slash book. Okay, this episode, the very first episode in my new studio. Darren and I caught up a month or so ago at my restaurant, Eden, which is in Bondi, the area of Sydney that I live in. If you haven't checked it out and are local, please do. We had a a great time together with a few of his friends and then fortunately had the opportunity to catch up at the end of his Australia filming tour. He's been here filming season two of Down to Earth, uh, the Netflix show that he co-hosts, and we were able to record this exchange. It's a conversation that explores many of Darren's personal passions, including what he calls fatal conveniences, such as spray-on deodorant and tea bags, his experience working with Zac Efron and producing the Down to Earth show, and plenty more. Quick disclaimer, this conversation was rather ad hoc, unplanned, unscripted. It's not a scientific inquiry deep dive by any means like what I'm normally about on this show. So please take any claims with a grain of salt. And to be fair to Darren, I didn't ask him to come locked and loaded with piles of evidence. Nonetheless, I I do still think some of the -the off-the-cuff claims are interesting for the purpose of raising awareness for further inquiry. Further inquiry being what I plan to embark on in future episodes to dive deeper into the claims, some of the claims in this episode, and whether they are supported by the very best, the very best available science or not. I think within reason, it's good to have people on the show who hold different beliefs. I emphasize within reason there. And while I do, where possible, probe for a deeper understanding of the evidence that supports a claim, it's not always possible. Just like in real life, sometimes you have to pick your battles. And picking those battles, so to speak, is something I do think I'm pretty good at, but there's always room for improvement. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Darren is a really incredible guy, super passionate, beaming with positive energy and loaded with knowledge. I look forward to catching you on the other side. Big D, Dazza. Hey, man. Welcome. Finally, we're doing this. Yeah, crazy. And in person. I thought for a while there it might have been a remote episode, but good to to catch you while you're here in Sydney. Yeah, me too. I mean, uh, really wanted to do this and, you know, uh, victim to the schedule that I was on, but it seems that the universe kind of opened up for us a little bit. Did. I just said before that I kind of bookended your trip and we'll delve into a little bit about what that schedule of yours was uh, as as detailed as we can be um but yeah we caught up we had dinner mm-hmm. and my memory of that night is you had come out of uh oh, God. lockdown yeah and we're particularly hungry we had a good night at eden Oof. 
dude, that was the best re-entry into the real world. That food, literally, I wasn't even, I didn't even know what I was expecting, but just to this day, I'm still freaking out people over it. It was beautiful. That's good, man. We were glad to have you. I haven't done a lockdown. Uh, was it two weeks or one week? Two weeks. It's a long time. It's a long time. What was that like? Nonsense. What was your mindset like at day one and how did it change as the days progressed? I'm not going to open up this can of worms too much, but day one and two, I was pissed off. I was pissed just from the liberties and freedom perspective. I've never been in a situation where like I didn't, I, I, I seemingly, seemingly didn't have a choice. If I was going to be here, if I was going to do what I was supposed to do here, I, I had to stay in this, I couldn't get fresh air. I couldn't leave this place. We were escorted from the airport to the rooms in quarantine by police. Um, so that was it. So I was pissed off, just the whole thing. Because, you know, ultimately, again, not getting into the details around immunity and COVID and all of that stuff, but really sovereignty. It's my key word. I mean, the whole crew heard me say that a million times uh, because the, the sovereignty of freedom is innate within all human beings, regardless of where you're from. So again, that was the first kind of like, what the fuck are we doing? Um, but then, of course, then the days moved on and I just was like, okay, let's let's get into a routine. I had a bunch of exercise equipment with me. I could fill up with water. So I had resistance stuff moving around. I had my bungee cords, I had red light pads with me. I had uh, EMF blocking devices. I had literally brought a full AquaTrue RO water system, brought the whole damn thing, bought one for the crew so the crew could go plastic free and have clean water. And then I had a Vortexer, so structuring the water with me that I just launched. And so I brought one with me. So I was creating some living water and then, you know, Uber Eats and finding the great restaurants I could deliver here. But then just, you know, just got into that routine. So kind of working out twice a day, doing my meditations, doing the journaling, having a lot of businesses. I banged out tons of podcasts and fatal conveniences. So, so I front loaded a bunch of that work so I could be free to kind of be, you know, uh, filming. So you made the most of it. hundred percent. I want to, I want to talk about some of those fatal conveniences and I had planned to sort of do it more towards the second half, but you mentioned a bunch of things there. And I, I think we should really just preface this by what that means and what you define fatal conveniences as. But as you talked through then how you had set up your day and your routine in your room, it very much sounds like these are the things that help you navigate these fatal conveniences so they are less likely to impact you and your health while you're here. Can you, at a top line, define fatal conveniences and then let's let's go through some of that setup that you had and why you bring that stuff with you why it's important yeah yeah fatal conveniences like stepping back a second my father father influenced me in many different ways uh, he was an ag professor at the university of minnesota so his business acumen relating to farmers kind of influenced me even in my travels around the world with farmers and also he suffered from early onset before it was even a term of chemical sensitivities. 
So he would be exposed to deodorants, shampoos, carpets, paints, perfumes, uh, aftershave, you name it. Uh, he would go into a neurological fog that he would then have to explain to everybody. And everyone thought he was like it was literally in his head. And now we're re- realizing through clear science that that isn't in anyone's head. That's clear toxification of our society in many different ways. So that that stuck me. You know, my father was suffering from that. Now, granted, he was one of the dragon keepers for and worked on atomic bombs in the Navy. So he lost his thyroid, right? So he's like the the radiation from working on atomic bombs destroyed his thyroid. So his immune system was definitely compromised. So he was being affected early, you know, earlier than what we were seeing in society with all of these chemical exposures. You know, and then I met a researcher, Dr. Mosin Hurmanish, was one of my kind of just opened up the, took the, red pill or whatever the pill is. I took some pill when I, I, I figuratively speaking, when I met him and he, he was the first person to talk to me. This was 20, 21 years ago, telling me about cell phones. And before that, what did you think about all this stuff? Well, I wasn't really... You weren't asking questions. I wasn't asking those questions. You, you know, just like anyone else, I was a small town kid and you assume everything on the shelf and everything that you buy, you, there's a safety standard. You know, you hear about these agencies, you hear about the FCC, the USDA, from our perspective, FDA, you know, all of these agencies that, that are supposed to, Environmental Protection Agency, all of these things, they're supposed to have your back right? As it relates to consumers, as our relationship to people coming in contact with food and supplements and environmental toxins, et cetera. And so I think, yes, father's experience influenced me, but it hadn't quite sank in. When I met the other doctor and he brought up this RNA, DNA signaling organizational protocol of proteins as it relates to the frequency of the cell phone, which is why tumors occur because the signaling pathways get messed up because it's influenced electromagnetically. I was like, excuse me, what? And that was the second kind of major phase of seeing like, oh, these things, there's there's not regulation that that is healthy for us. And so, so then from that point of view, I just was like, oh, and so Dr. Mosin, he gave me this term 21 years ago. And he was like, this is a convenience, but there's a fatal flaw to it. So that term fatal convenience, it's easy. It's easy to pick up a bottle of water in the airport that's got plastic on it. That's from petroleum. That's got all these estrogen mimicking compounds that you don't even know, you assume that that's not going to affect you. And and so fatal conveniences are the things that you're doing that you may not have investigated. You may not know that the, the EMF frequency from your tablet on your lap or the cell phone up to your head or the water that you're drinking or the food that's wrapped in plastic, you're just not aware of that stuff. So until you're aware, you don't have choice. But the thing is, we're a biological system. And whether you're aware of it or not, your biology, your body, your being has to deal with it. 
And so if you're not aware, you can't have another choice. And so you're just getting hit with, I mean, 60,000 new chemicals are emitted in our atmosphere every year. Do you think the the sort of manufacturers and the suppliers of these convenient products are aware of the potential consequences or are they just designing very convenient products, you know, that that are making our lives on the surface seem easier? Uh, yes. I mean, I don't, I don't think they set out to hurt us. You know, my small town kid optimism side of life, I don't think anyone set out to hurt us. But they also gathered information along the way. And so absolutely many of these companies and products know what's in these things. And they know that, you know, hormone disruptors are in their products. They know that these things occur. I mean, I've, you know, in doing some of these fatal conveniences, it's astonishing to me when I'm doing that research and all of a sudden I see, you know, Teflon on dental floss. They know about it. They know it's causing kidney disturbances and cancer and hormone disruption. And the FDA writes an article about it on their website saying it's true, but does nothing to regulate it. It's a little bit similar to this ultra-processed meats, you know, are, are categorized as a group one carcinogen, but they're still in, you know, the deli shops and the service station and the grocery stores. Can we dive into a few of these fatal conveniences a little a little deeper? Some of the ones I guess people are probably wanting to know more about, starting with water. You mentioned the downside of putting water into plastic and endocrine, disrupting hormones, etc. If you were to summarize, what are what do we need to be thinking about? when it comes to our water, not just the packaging, but also, you know, tap water versus filtration. Like what, what's the best method based on all the research that you've done to create the, the best water for us? Well, you know, the rabbit hole, you can check out many things and there's so much more on why plastic is so bad to wrap your food and put it around your water. But obviously it's a massive convenience and, because of those, number one, if you have to drink out of plastic, get plastic that's harder rather than softer. Unfortunately, the more soft the plastic is, the more hormone-disrupting chemicals that they put on that mimic estrogen. So that, that chemical that they use to soften is mimicking what we, as we take in in our body, estrogen. So it gums up the receptors and throws off our whole endocrine system, which is a, just a really bad catastrophic event. So from that perspective, if you're in an airport or whatever and you have to drink, find harder plastic. That's number one. Um, and I can't even get away. I go in the airport, I'd rather not dehydrate and I'd rather go for like a harder Fiji bottle or something like that. But what I will do, I have a glass bottle I travel with all the time. It's harder glass. It doesn't break. And I take it right away. And I pour it into this and it actually has, it's another rabbit hole we won't get into, but it also has embedded frequency generating technology in the glass, right? So now when that water's in there, it's, it's generating 
a frequency of creating life again in that dead water. So what about if you're carrying a stainless steel, you know, water bottle, reusable water bottle and filling up at the the airport tap? Number one, kudos for having your own bottle with you. The stainless steel is great. There also can be some evidence that depending on what's in the water, especially electrolytes, you can have conductive, not so beneficial magnetic and energetic resonances within that. So it's an aluminum or stainless steel bottle. So it can structure your water and maybe not the best way for you. I mean, that's a big Pandora's box. But yes, take your own bottle. I don't know what's in their freaking water. I don't trust water coming out of taps. I've done enough testing to know that. So for me, I would rather buy a better bottle of water and then put it right in my container, shake it up, create some energy in it, maybe get a little more oxygen saturation, et cetera. Um, but like I said, I traveled with my own RO system here. So I was just making my own water every day. So back to your question, the most important thing, again, this is a very big topic, but water has so many influences and we've done a great job. The modern convenience, you know, going back to fatal convenience, the convenience is you and I can go to our tap and turn on water. Way to go. Like we live wherever we live and we can turn on our tap and get visibly clean water. That's great. There's billions of people on the planet. I've been there where they don't have that, right? So the dirty water and they're playing Russian roulette every day, right? 9,000 children are dying every day of waterborne diseases. So let's say, okay, that's great. So I also don't want to minimize. Perspective. Yeah, I don't want to minimize the convenience that we've created to be able to have water on fucking demand, right? That's amazing. But with that, you have to travel with it chlorine because chlorine is the best kill step we have that travels. So it's number one of like, you know, I've been in facilities and water facilities. It's great. They can use oxygenation and UV and they can do a lot of cleaning methods to their water, but it still has to travel to every household. So you have to put a level of chlorine that will keep it from having pathogens or microbes. Stare off. Yeah, because it's still dangerous if it's going in you know, in plumbing. I always wonder about that and and I haven't read any science on this, but I wonder if it's killing certain bacterial pathogens, how that's affecting our microbiome. 100%, 100%. So yes, <laughs> that is a big, yeah, and we should, we should, I, I, I never dived down. I have read, it's been a while, but I have read something, I have to dig it up. But um, uh, yeah, it's a killing agent. So it, it doesn't, it, it's very effective. Chlorine's extremely effective. The oxygen reduction potential on chlorine is just extraordinarily. I guess the counterpoint to that, and again, I haven't looked into this, is that I'm sure people say, well, it's the dose that's the poison. Do you know, like, how do they determine that? What studies, what science is done to say, well, yeah, it's the dose that's the poison and this amount of chlorine is actually okay? Right. Well, that, yes. And so usually what they do is they deem the travel time or the period of the distance, and then they do those tests. Like, is the level of chlorine at an effective level that will kill the things along the way? And then that's where they create their algorithm 
of, you know, they're dosing the water for the entire community, right? So it's going out. So it has to kill. So my point of view with all of that is, listen, there's fluorides, there's chlorine, there's pharmaceutical drugs that have shown up now in our waterway. And there's a lot of total dissolved, untested compounds that are in our tap water. So when you look at that, you can test and you get a general number of TDS, total dissolved solids. And and you can see that, oh, it's got a certain, most tap water is between 250 to 500 parts per million. And if you look at that number from a nature perspective, that'd be like, that's a high amount of mineral activity. And you're like, freaking great, right? You need it. You need the electrolytes in order for uh, the cells to have osmotic activity and to have really good hydration. So that's great. But if you test that from a tap perspective, you're just getting a total number of all the other crap that's in there. So you do need to filter your water and you need to filter it very well. So distillation, evaporating the water and recondensing, Perfect, right? Takes away all the total dissolved solids and also reverse osmosis. So reverse osmosis, small enough membrane to not allow any of those contaminants or biologics to get through. So those are two great ways to clean the slate on water. The challenge with that and the problem with that is you've also eliminated any any of the electrolytes. That was my question because I had heard that drinking distilled water can be problematic. Right. Yeah. And it is, especially the body. The body is looking for the electrolytes in order for it to actually hydrate itself. So it can rob and steal other electrolytes in order to get to the most important delivery systems in the body. So yes. So it's almost if you deconstruct the water from the tap and then you have to build the water back up again. So clean it out, clean it, and now add those electrolytes back in. An easy way for listeners to do is take Himalayan crystal salt or unrefined crystal salt. And those minerals in that form are the size, the angstrom size electrolytes that the cells can receive. Whereas like a calcium carbonate molecule is 10 times the size of the cell. So it's the size of the minerals that are very important. So from an electrolyte standpoint, easy to add a pinch of Himalayan crystal salt or a half a teaspoon per gallon to the distilled RO water. And now you've created an electrolyte active, energetic, receptive water for your body. Now, does it have the energy properties That's a whole other kind of can of worms, which is why I finally, after meeting with a scientist, I created a vortexer through Fibonacci mathematics and a hexagon or a a, uh, type of cell. What's Fibonacci mathematics? Yeah, so Fibonacci is the golden mean or the golden ratio. So they found that in nature, if you look at Everything is a sacred type of geometry that nature provides. And so the angles of the bottom of our vortex or the angle of our leaf that spins the water, the rate at which it spins is basically from uh, Victor Schauberger's work, watching and understanding nature to a ridiculous degree. And so from that, they realized that through those mathematics mimic that which structures water in a healthy way naturally as it vortates and gets infused with UV light and the frequency of the earth. It's all of these 
electrolysis through the incredible earth already and the energy that's infused and the chelation of minerals coming off the rocks, that that is in a a high state of life activity of water. So again, you're creating a receptivity of activating water so that your body can receive it and hydrate more. So is that a system that you you just attach on to your faucet or how does that work? Yeah, so the RO, you can, there's many RO units. You can put it underneath your countertop. I have this one AquaTrue, which they actually deliver in Australia too. And the one I took around, you just put it on your countertop, you fill up the back end and then it filters through. And then that's the one you traveled with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, I mean, it's not a traveling one. <laughs> I just did because we already, already had a hundred units of, of gear with us. I'm like, well, what's another I was one? imagining you in your uh, 14 day lockdown, but uh, if, if the cleaning lady, but the cleaning lady, did they come in during no. that period? No. But seeing your setup with everything, they would have, some people would have had a laugh. <laughs> 100%, but I was happy, man. Something about still being able to control some of that especially hydration. Yeah, so that was my next question. Is there any understanding as to how the difference in hydration between these different types of water? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's all this research around if you just take in water, the body can't even really, uh, it's dead. And so it doesn't have the frequency, doesn't have the electrolyte. So water isn't just water. Uh, And they realize that certainly with the electrolytes, certainly with the energy qualities, the receptivity is three to four times that of just normal kind of water. Okay. So to summarize, distillation or reverse osmosis, and then add in a pinch of Himalayan sea salt to get those minerals back in. That's the basic, and that's a great place to start. And then use glass bottles the more you can. You can even, uh, a, a blue glass bottle out in the sun will also mimic that frequency generation as well. I can't believe I used to buy water and plastic bottles and I would refill them and I'd, I'd leave them in my car and they'd get hot in the plastic, like in my early 20s or whatnot, until I had read a lot more about this. We all did. Um, frightening to think about what's that water quality is like. 100%. Yeah, keep in mind, everyone, plastic is petroleum. Like it's, it's oil. And with these chemicals to make these molds, you put that in heat and you're creating a tea of your water with petroleum and hormone disruptors. And the more soft that gets, the more that's just leaching into your, that's how tea works. <laughs> the, the tea episode that you did. The tea bag episode <laughs> that blew my mind. That blew my mind. One of my my uh, healthiest habits <laughs> is drinking tea, and you know I think it, it should be fairly straightforward that drinking the loose leaf is more than likely going to be a better option than drinking something out of a, a paper bag that's been bleached or contains plastic. But I didn't realize that they contained plastic. Can you? Can you? Talk me through God this. Damn, I I didn't either. I mean, listen, I start fatal conveniences with a with a little bit of understanding that this is there's something going on here, and some of it I just dig into it because I don't know. Um, <laughs> tea bags were. I was going to offer you a tea bag today. <laughs> exactly. You know what? But you know what I do? 
especially on the trip, I'd be like, yes, I want a tea. Can I have a tea? Leave the bag on the side. And so what I'll do is I'll just rip it open and dump it in. And so what happens is once it kind of does its extraction, the tea mostly just falls to the bottom and then you just enjoy your tea. So it's really not a big deal. But when you realize that so many of these tea bags literally are using plastic and microplastics to create strength, God forbid they break, they are using that. So basically what's happening, we pour the steaming hot water over these tea bags that are filled full of these incredible botanicals, but also now being infused and basically leaching out oil and and plastic into our teas. So that was a shocker. That one, I didn't realize how prevalent that is with most tea bags that are out there right now, unless they're purposely not using them. And then they would love to market that master commander of our system is the endocrine system. And if one were to step back and realize that so many of these things that we're eating or are touching our food or in our air, or in our water are literally leading to the neutering of our society. And it is on so many levels so scary because if you just look at the one Okay, say you're having two, three teas a day. You think you're doing a great thing by drinking a bunch of water and you're drinking out of plastic. Then you think you're doing a good thing by having whatever food you're having that's coming to you covered in plastic or in a takeaway thing or whatever. And you're getting all of that exposure to the chemicals. We have not done any work as to the accumulation of all of these things. They've tried to set toxic levels on each individual one, which I believe are completely ridiculous anyway, but no one's ever looked at all of these different exposures. So you're, you're dealing with girls that are getting their periods a lot more intensely earlier at eight, nine years old. That's 100% pointing in the direction of this hormone disruptive activity. We have children today being born with over 200 chemicals already in the umbilical cord. So that's from mom, that's from the exposure, that's from baby products, that's from whatever your mom is consuming. Your baby is already exposed to chemicals. So my whole thing is I want to raise this awareness. This isn't easy. The, The podcast People don't want to hear some of the shit. But again, our body is moving through time and space in this reality. And if you are being affected, especially at the endocrine level, you're talking positive mental outlook shifts. You're talking um, how the body reacts from the immune perspective. You're talking depression or anti-depression, you're talking the ability for your body to metabolize and lose weight and all of these things. But when you're chemicalized, you can't do any of that stuff. So the whole idea for me is let's raise the awareness, let's shift the habit. No one wants to be inconvenienced. That's the thing. We don't want to be. I absolutely, I don't want to be. But once you're aware, we're getting more, the consumer demand of pushing back on these products so that we can have healthy alternatives. Let's keep having these great products. Let's keep improving the products, but let's just change the exposure that we're getting from all of these things. 
I think it makes perfect sense. Even if the science hasn't looked at the, the sort of cumulative effect, like you said, why take the risk if we don't have to? If giving up a little bit of convenience gives us a, an option without having to ingest these chemicals, then that seems like a sort of safe and sensible play, right? Where you can. So I do like this segment of your show. I think it's fascinating. I mean, there are some things in there that were wild and were kind of blowing my mind. I was listening to the one on Bluetooth headphones while I was wearing Bluetooth headphones. (laughs) (laughs) And that got me thinking quite a bit, as did, I mean, you did one on deodorant and uh, aluminum or aluminium, I think we say it in, in Australia. Hey friends, I hope you're enjoying this episode. It's Simon here. Just a quick intermission to remind you that my book, The Proof is in the Plants, is now available. In this book, I cover common myths about plant-based diets, evidence showing the potential health benefits that are up for grabs, the positive impact eating plant foods has on the planet, and much more. To order your copy, head to plantproof.com forward slash book. plantproof.com forward slash book. Okay, let's get back into it. Let's touch on that one before we move off onto segue into something else. But deodorant, rightly so, people care about their body odor. You know, even if I was to sort of speak to my friendship group and their sort of anecdotal experience, I think a lot of them have probably tried natural deodorants and haven't found them as good and then have reverted back. So talk to me about the problem with these spray deodorants in the first place. And in that scenario, if you are trying to to move away from them, how can what would your recommendations be for someone to successfully do that? Yeah. Yeah. They, these things are, I mean, and and you know, I did it on the spray, but there's also the rub on, but there's the hydrofluorocarbons are incredibly uh, dangerous. Uh, and, and not to mention you're spraying them and you're breathing them in and then I didn't even get into that. Some of the fatal convenience, but I just have to like work a line instead of like all the other ones. And I'm saving many of those other ones for bigger dives in a book, right? So, um, but uh, yeah, so in the aluminum side, there is direct correlation between cancer. And I'm most afraid the effect that it has on the immune system is just catastrophic. But I'm most afraid of women because of the, it seems to be the fat in the breast tissue and around that area is just so, it, fat is such an incredible preserver and protector as well. And people don't realize that. Like fat is great at isolating and holding and pulling away toxins. And so if you're someone who's also having a hard time releasing weight, you might be just toxified or exposing yourself all the time and your body is stressed and inflamed and there's a reason for that. But this one from a deodorant standpoint, man, the correlations of the aluminum going directly in the lymphatic, which is you know the immune system, uh, and then right into the breast tissue causing hormone disruptors, causing cancer, tumors, et cetera. That is a very, very scary thing. Like the, these kind of things, dude, are, I don't want to be so dramatic, but I am. These are crimes against humanity. When you know that the studies are out and little old me's diving into it, my little team, and we're just picking this stuff off at a carnival with a 
a gun. Like, it's like, this is ridiculous. You know, I'm just sounding a bit of an alarm like, hey, you know what? Don't use that. Let's try something else. Now, yeah, I too have tried many of the natural ones. I've also made my own, right? Shea butter, little bicarbonate, and lavender, rose. Extraordinary. Rub it together. Hell, you can just little make a paste. I used to make a paste, put it in a little jar, rub it on. The thing with that is you have to be careful about the pH and the acidity. And if you don't get that right, a rash can develop over time. So, you know, just be aware of that. But there's some great companies. We actually just, there was an Australian flora and fauna. We, I've heard of them. Yeah, they're great. They're great. Yeah. It was a, a mom started this. She's a badass. I forget her name. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, she's a badass. Started this, had a child, a child with special needs, and she just, started this business years ago and we actually got i ran out of deodorant here but i went to her little shop and i got a bunch of deodorants with me and they're freaking amazing and they do all the quality control stuff before it even enters before they even distribute before they even sell and they also push back on anyone that they're receiving stuff from saying hey you got to improve on your packaging don't use this plastic don't use this here's alternatives like they're really incredible so yes there's some alternatives without the chemicals, but they're very simple. There's um, Salema Masakella has a new one out. It's called Hume, I believe. Uh, Schmitz has got a good one. And uh, there's a couple other ones, but that work incredibly well. I think they work better. And there's something about putting on like essential oil, rose, and like it's, people have to realize over and over again, this is food. This is, this is going in your body, right? So, so think of it and celebrate that. And again, I think I'm, you know, side topic, but something I'm stoked about is raising the awareness of this stuff so that we can, as customers, demand better stuff. And that shift is happening from small companies to big companies. And I've been talking to some big companies and they're moving. They are moving the freight in a different way, in big ways, eliminating single-use plastic, using different alternative packaging. Like it's happening. And so there's hope there. And so that's why I'm like, I'm more hopeful that the more I put out stuff like this, the more we have conversations like this, the more we say, hey, listen, these companies will freaking listen. When we don't buy this crap anymore that's harming us. They'll innovate. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've talked to literally one of the biggest vice presidents of the biggest, you know, CPG company on the planet. And he said exactly that. He goes, can we make shifts very quickly? No, but we see the writing on the wall and we have to. Yeah. I mean, all the major reports, even from countries like China, are showing that these younger consumers are now more focused on sustainability and brands realize that unless they're thinking about this, it will affect their bottom line. So they have to they have to innovate and create products that such customers will want to associate with and align with. One more before we, we do close off. I know I said that was the last one, but I love talking about this stuff. You mentioned fluoride before in water. Does the reverse osmosis and distillation remove the fluoride? So I think people will be listening and will have heard fluoride's important for dental health, right? Can you talk to that and then also perhaps what we need to be looking at from a toothpaste 
point of view for avoiding some of these chemicals or things that we don't want to ingest so much and and choosing a, a more natural option that still works and still keeps our teeth healthy. Yeah. Uh, fluoride, uh, I think that's been debunked over and over again from that perspective. You can't receive fluoride from that way. It's it's Again, what I said a little bit about the size of the molecule, that size of that type of fluoride receiving and coming into your water, you can't receive it. You can't use it. You so what's it doing in there? That is a that is a question I have no freaking idea. I mean, I could go off on certain aspects of certain companies uh, having chemicals that are a side product of creating other chemicals that they had a bunch of fluoride still left over and then they needed to, you know, somehow get rid of it and create a contract for it and somehow dupe us into thinking that was a good idea and dentists coming on board. Like, it, it gets a little wacky. Um, when the science doesn't add up to why they're doing it and you get a whole, you know, dental community, uh, not so much anymore because it's starting to change. Um, I don't know, man. Like, uh, I'm going to be a little PG on this, but, you know, the more I look at this stuff, I, I definitely, you, you have to, this day and age more than ever, you have to look where the money's going. And so it's, cheap and easy for CPG companies to continue to create this crap. And it's just the same old ingredients, the cheap stuff and blah, blah, blah. And uh, the narrative of, of fluoride is just utterly ridiculous. And we'll, I'll send you some, some... Is that the same thing in toothpaste as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we're not dying from a lack of fluoride, right? And that chemical reaction of the teeth just doesn't add up. And I forget the the research that I, I read on that, but I'd have to dig that up. I can send it to you. We can do a whole whole another episode sometime on, on fluoride. And and not to mention it it gums up the pineal gland, you know, in the center of our brain, which is also a master modulator of our circadian rhythms, our melatonin, you know, and that's a whole nother Pandora's box. So we need to actually hundred percent decalcify that pineal that's being influenced by the fluoride. So listen, I, you know, I never wanted to believe that companies would do anything other than put a great product out. And that's what got me into superfood hunting. That's what got me because I realized like, oh fuck, they don't. They're, they, I didn't, I still, even me saying this, I'm, I'm from a small town. I literally don't believe even to this day that people lied in my face. And how many people have lied to my face? Many people have lied to my face. You know, I've had to sue people. I've had to, you know, I've had girlfriends. You know, you have the normal life. People, we all kind of run into that. And, and But you like to see the best in people. 100%. And now I have to use my awareness. I have to dig in. I have to look at. I have to research before. I have to vet you know, vet companies before I'll get, an, or, you know, aligned with them. You know, it's just, it's because it's, it's so crazy, but all their great alternatives from how baking soda, like baking soda and, and uh, charcoal is freaking amazing cleanser, antibacterial, antifungal for the mouth. Uh, yeah. You're getting the foaming agents and the propylene glycol, which is a real horrible 
thing that shows up in a lot of the personal care products too. So you want to definitely stay away from the propylene glycol. It's a flow agent that they use a lot of that stuff for. They also throw that into natural flavorings. It shows up everywhere. They throw it in vape pens. It's a really bad. It's a whole nother fatal convenience. But it's those kind of things that they slip and then they start using other terms uh, for to kind of get around it. But yeah, there's a lot of great toothpaste alternatives to not expose yourself to chemicals or fluorides. Do ultra-processed foods fall under the uh, fatal convenience banner? I mean, these things here in Australia, they're 42% of the Australian average Australian's calories. I think in the States, it might be 60% of the average American's calories. But we're talking about the same thing, right? Something that's extremely convenient, appealing, tastes great. We're led to believe it's adding tremendous value to our life. But the science is showing, in fact, it's doing the opposite. Yeah, this is a big one. Big, big, big one. This is one of the big, big ones I pulled aside. I can't cover in a small fatal convenience. I try to keep in like 20 minutes. And this is one I'm keeping for the big book. And these are part of the things that these are big sweeping fatal conveniences, you know, factory farming, for God's sakes. It's a blaringly obvious fatal convenience, right? From so many different directions. Antibiotic resistance. Oh, God. Zoonotic diseases. <laughs> totally. Yeah, and to the absolute destruction of the environments. And it's just the toxic exposure, the exposure to pesticides, herbicides, glyphosate, you name it. It's just so crazy. Actually, I wish I could talk about some of the things. I'm going to talk to you later about some of the things I got confronted with on the show. Um, In this season or season one? this season. We haven't quite given the background yeah. For why you're here. <laughs> yeah. So we'll keep we'll, we'll we're, we're 50 minutes in, but we right. may as well. Well, but <laughs> yeah, you can edit or whatever you want. But, but I just want to make a caveat. There is something that I want to talk to you about off air that I got confronted with that I want to figure out how to navigate because I'm going to get some, I'm going to get hammered a bit. And that's fine because it's, I think it's necessary and you're going to understand what I mean by it. But Yeah, I don't know what it is, but I can kind of think about it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, without understanding right now, I'll, my approach to this is that from an environmental point of view to, to sort of solve the position we're in, that we need as many solutions as we can. 100%. And that's along the line. I, I took some things that were very uncomfortable for me to be in and I decided to stay in it because to be a witness to it. And can you speak to that? Because I, I think what you're saying is that yeah. I mean, this is this is Netflix down to earth, huge show, and it's you know I'm speaking here out loud, but having researched TV productions before and spoken to people about them, a show like this has to reach the masses and the mainstream. And you're a key person in it, but the actual content and direction would not necessarily be chosen by you. Is that kind of what you're speaking to? I'm a big influence in that stuff, for sure. Uh, Executive producer on it. And, um, but it's, it's a, it's a shared thing. And they really, I, I, I feel number one, it's not, I just gotta be fucking careful. Um, it's not, it's blessed by Netflix, but we're doing our thing. Right, we have an incredible team, um, and do they agree with my lifestyle? One hundred percent, no, but they respect it, and uh, so we—it's hard to stay like without giving details. But um, 
When you say your lifestyle, you mean that you're you you follow a plant based yeah. diet. Yeah, yeah, plant based, and and I don't like to kill anything, you know, um, and I don't think anyone needs to. However, there's a world of people that rely on it. That's just the reality, you know. There's islanders around the world. There's people that literally. And that is a completely different conversation than what we were just talking about in terms of factory farming and the unnecessary inhumane treatment and also the use of that kind of meat in society. I think most rational people would understand that, that this is circumstantial. Yeah. Well, there's, yeah, there's a lot of unrational people too. But So I think that there was some things that I chose, I don't want to make it sound so dramatic, but it was intense because there was, there was, um, you know, from regenerative agriculture to, you know, let me just say this, that there's a lot of great movements forward in regen ag that have a, most of the principles. I, you know, 97%, I absolutely go and you're doing it freaking great. And I 100%. Now, the last part of it, you're killing an animal because you feel you need to do that. Okay, well, what, for what? Is that for your family and money and to, you know, okay. Or is that to feed yourself or what is that? Do you need to do that? Or you're growing all these plants, blah, blah, blah. The point is that that model, that regen model with animals on it, to a certain degree, is infinitely better. It's an imperfect solution. It's infinitely better than the system that we have going on with cows and who've never seen the light of day that are raped and, and, and in horrible conditions and killed and slaughtered. And, and it's just a horrible, and that is um, something that needs to be stopped and it needs to be stopped as soon as possible. But it needs to be done from a, we need to have a conversation about it. We can't, these things are not, these things are so infinitely complex. We can't, and I think I'm walking away even more aware of the complexity, but also more aware that all of these solutions, whether they're imperfect or not, need to be done by sitting down and having a conversation and working together. Right, so so these kinds of things, I think, and I'm I, I'm sorry that I'm acting a, a little vague because I can't. Oh, I get it, and I mean, this is something I think about a lot as well because I guess in this sort of plight to end factory farming, it's a commonality that most of these different industries share and could all be allies in the fight against that. It's just some of the different solutions where there is some disagreement, um, but yeah, I I. It's a shame that sometimes the focus is on the disagreement, losing sight of the big, big thing that everyone agrees on, which is that you know, 90 plus percent of meat in America is factory farmed, right? Um, and that's a big deal. That's causing enormous damage to the planet. I wonder if the move to regenerative agriculture with the solutions that are sort of put forward, what that does to overall meat supply. Oh, it's definitely going to go down. Yeah. So then in, even then sort of supporting that model as an imperfect solution does mean an overall reduction in total meat um, and shifting people towards more sort of plant-based approaches. And that's the trend anyway. It's for sure a trend that's happening uh, already. But yeah, I mean, you look at the, 
the meatonomics of it all too. I mean, uh, you know, the subsidies were essentially, uh, certainly in America, the subsidies and our taxes are going for subsidies of this absolutely ridiculous, unsustainable empire. Like that makes no sense to me. So the, the, the economy obviously would shift. The meat would be naturally higher, right? So it'd be more expensive to yeah. buy. So, so if you have a hundred dollars a week and you still have a hundred, you'll be buying much less yeah. grams of, of beef or whatever it is. Which from that perspective alone would shift you into a healthier lifestyle anyway, right? So I think the trend, thank God, you know, some people other than just the, you know, the side that believes that carnivorism is, is some sort of a good idea. Um, They've missed the science somehow. I don't know. I don't get it. There's some great people I know that are smart that are still like, oh, I don't, I don't. I, you know what? I think I, I, I sort of almost get it in some ways. If you have a certain type of uh, autoimmune or gut condition or, or something that, you know, fiber is really aggravating, when you, when you release all of that, remove all of that, it's an it's a ultimate elimination diet. And there are enough anecdotes out there online to suggest that people that are doing the all-meat diet are getting some short-term benefit, right? I don't think we can deny that. Um, my concern is the long-term game. Right. Well, that's a, I mean, you know, talking to Walter Longo in the first season, I mean, and the, all these guys who are really doing the bench science, they're like, man, from what we see, you're sprinting towards some serious problems like and every one of them every real good scientist is always saying well there's some indicators that are really dangerous and i'm going to tell you that and we need to do more research right but they're definitely going you're sprinting towards cancer like you're sprinting towards that and but to your point yes i agree like i mean you can do a lot of elimination diets uh just eliminate food and fast for a little bit under some supervision and and let the the flames of inflammation cool down. But um, yeah, man, there's a, there's a lot here uh, in terms of, I, I think I'm so keenly aware of how systems are failing us or that they can really help us. And uh, the, the systems, obviously, of factory farming and that it's gone on this long and the billions and billions of animals that are just, I mean, on our watch are being just absolutely horrifically being destroyed is, is, a, is a really scary thing. And, and I just, I'm, I'm so, I saw some stuff uh, in the last couple months that, you know, I haven't seen in a while in death. And, and I'm looking at it going, God damn. Like, this doesn't have to happen. I'm trying not to judge people. And I'm like, fuck, man. Like, you don't have to eat this stuff to be healthy. But it's like, am I going to choose to use that time and to just, you know, stand up on a soapbox and lecture someone? Or am I going to be a witness, be open and go, okay, well, they're doing a bunch of other stuff that is good. And not to say that they're doing bad. They're just, they're just, moving in a way like a regen ag system that still maybe butchers it's less death let's put it that way and um the animals i saw were stoked and happy they just didn't know uh the end result but um 
But you know that making this step might be the right step that's needed now for humanity in many ways and the collective consciousness just starts to raise. The delusion is that, you know, we've all met the crazy plant-based guy or girl. Um, the delusion is that it's a light switch and we should just stop it. And that's, that's ridiculous and it's never going to be that way. But if we go into that with that heavy judgment, you've now just created more separation and less sitting at the table and having this conversation and helping each other move in a better way. And I'm more interested in that than, than trying to be right and trying to convince someone after they've lived their life to that point of me meeting them and then some delusional way I think I'm going to change their mind and the universe is going to come down and flip a switch and then they're going to just see the light. It's like ridiculous. But if we meet in the overwhelming amount of things that we do agree on and we celebrate that and we work towards that and we make that better, that to me is a hell of a win. That's why we keep a healthy dialogue, healthy conversation. I'd like to sort of spin, I guess, a little bit from here to talk a bit more about the show itself and more so what you've learned from the show series. I mean, background knowledge for any Australian listeners because the show's not out here, right? But this is the second season of Down to Earth and, and you and Zach travel around and look at all these uh, solutions to improve the health of our planet. From the show and, and everywhere that you've traveled and the solutions you've looked at and also the years of research that you've done in this space, what are the big changes that we need to make, be it from an energy perspective or a food perspective in the next 10, 15 years and why do we need to make these? Some of what we talked about in terms of um, first acknowledging that there's, there's billions of people that are being affected by, by a few and that's scary to me um, because whether you want to call it climate change, let's just say, listen, climate change is changing, period. And you can make the argument of the religious statement that the, it's on our hands and blah, blah, blah. And Well, it is, we're making stupid choices. I kind of like try to bypass the whole climate change thing and just go, okay, was, does, does this make sense? Meaning that I think people can all center around sovereignty. And I use this word all the time. Water, power, food, shelter. Okay. That, if I go to anybody and say, if I could help you have the food you need, the healthy food you need, if I could help you have clean water to drink, if I could help you have shelter for your family, if I could help you have power so that you could live life and turn on lights. Off the grid. <laughs> yeah. Is that something you're interested in? Everybody. In the depths of Sounds like a dream. Of course. Like we all centered around that. Hell, America beats their chest with that. Like we are free. That's freedom at the individual level. So if I go to a, a hippie, he's into it. He, but he may come at it from, well, we need to do this because of climate change. I'm going to do everything I can to help climate change and I'll have my sovereignty. I can go over here to a, a redneck dude and he's got his gun in his hand. He's like, God damn right I want sovereignty, right? It doesn't matter. So I, I don't give a shit about the, the religious 
forms of the Pico fucking universes that are created with climate change. I just want to get back to that. So for me, in the 20 years of traveling around the world with the years now of traveling with Down to Earth, people all want that. And most people don't have that choice. And again, those choices and effects of big governments and systems are slow and almost impossible to change. So why I wanted to do a show was not to do a show. I give a shit. And did I want to do it with a celebrity? Fuck no. That all happened serendipitously. So you had the show in like in, you were planning a show. I had a show like like superfood hunting show ideas. Ten years, Superfood people hunting. had been, They wanted to do that stuff. Like, oh my god, that'd be amazing stuff. And I kind of was like, that's a lot of effort. I'm like, you know. So you travel around different countries, look at the different superfoods. Yeah, and and I was kind of like, but the more I was in that, the more I would see lack of water in the middle of Africa. Rest her soul, Obama's grandmother just passed away this year. I, on Earth Day, about eight years ago, was with her, creating clean water for her and her village. Obama's grandmother. There you go. And, and that, to me, it's worth everything, those kind of things. And then walking across the road, I, I sat with Malik Obama, his brother, his older brother, and just talking. And that, to me, talking to to people is the key to everything. So for me, no judgment, talking, having the conversations, seeing that really the through line of all of us, we don't want to be controlled. We don't want monopolies. Yet we have allowed monopolies to be giving us this, giving us that convenience of, oh, I can flip on my lights, cool. But what if that grid goes down? What if a cyclone comes in? What if another fire happens? Do you have freedom? Nope. Do you have a shelter that can protect you? Nope. Because they're building archaically for the most part. 150 years are still using trees for lumber, <laughs> like things that, you know, in fire zones. It's, it's ridiculous, right? And I live on a fire, in a fire zone. Australia, we were out in this season in fire zones. And if you act... Like someone else is going to take care of you when a freaking fire comes through. That's insane. If you don't step in and critically think like, okay, I'm in an environment that burns. Okay, then how do I, how do I build? How do I position my house? Do I do cold burns? Do I learn fire management? Do I learn how the ecology works? Probably a good idea. But we are so... How do we learn that from... from the indigenous people is that hundred percent. That was a big thing here. They need to be at the freaking table. They need to be with that sixty to seventy thousand years of understanding. Get their ass to the table for sure. Like stop with this crap. Like this is ridiculous. And you, and you're over here throwing policies and procedures and rules and laws when you don't have a clue. It'd be like someone who, bubble boy, who's living in a bubble, has never been out in nature, but is giving everyone who lives in nature the rules of how to live in nature. Isn't that silly? Isn't that stupid? Why not listen to the people that actually, actually are the stewards of the land and then have proven it farther and greater than any 
known indigenous community in the world. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> like, you know, we disconnect from nature, we're going to get our ass handed to us. So, you know, I mean, there's infinite knowledge I've learned, but the knowledge has come from other people and the knowledge is coming from really being quiet and listening and asking some questions. Um, How are you powering your your house where you live? Well, I lost my house to a fire. I think I remember that. We, we, we traded a text yeah. around that time. Yeah, so, so I had to re... It's still in the process of rebuilding, but I threw up a yurt against the rules uh, and then I pulled it off the grid with solar. That was a big fire about a year ago, year and a half. 2018. Okay, a little while now. Yeah. So um, I just needed to get back on the land and get back to that. So I, I threw up solar and um, luckily I have water on the property and and then I can grow a lot of food. But my current house that I have to now rebuild, the that one, that is used that it will be using uh, geopolymers, basalt fiber, things that don't burn, things that are plentiful in the environment. Um, so it's 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 like old um, it's it's old concrete techniques that are haven't been used for thousands of years. So using fly ash, waste ash, basalt, like all of these different materials, so it won't burn, can't burn. Uh, and, uh, and then in terms of the power generation, luckily I have good friends and I'm doing some business with that, um, we're, we're going to be implementing a lot of other crazy energy technologies. Like hydrogen or? No. 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 Top secret. Some, some stuff that's using the air as the fuel source. Um, but there's a huge amounts of nitrogen in the air. And so if you peel off nitrogen come to find out you can liquefy it on demand from the air as the air passes in. And once you liquefy that nitrogen, guess what happens? It wants to boil at any known temperature on planet Earth. So if you capture that expansion, similar to like mm. when you heat up something, it expands. Generate the energy. That transfer of energy, that shift and phase is an opportunity of energy capture. So liquefy the nitrogen and then when it wants to expand your my friend created turbines and special engines that capture that very 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 efficiently and not to mention the nitrogen is going through copper tubing so now that becomes a desiccant wall that rains water down from any of the humidity from the earth so you're creating 100 gallons of water fresh water every day just as a side benefit and then it's cold so then you be, that becomes your own HVAC unit. So just that unit alone is hitting three major aspects. It's creating power, it's creating water, and it's creating cooling. Um, and that's a free energy source. Are you going to document that? Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys looked at, at, at cars in the series? Um, not in any... What do you think about cars? Like I, I drive a petrol car at the moment. Um four-wheel drive, but I've been trying to do some research and, and you come across all different sides of the of the conversation around what the best way is forward. Um, admittedly, I don't drive a whole lot. I do very little kilometers because I'm stuck in this little Bondi bubble. Um, but 
What do you think the future is for automobiles that are more planetary friendly? Um, that's a great question. It's one of my fatal conveniences that I'm going to dig really deep into in the book. Electric is not all that it's cracked up to be because there's a lot of aspects you have to look at. You have to look at the mining of the, the precious metals and the batteries. You get a look at the EMF that's it, it, coming off of the batteries and off the electric car. You have to look at all materials that are used in the car in order for it to, to really... And then also, where is the actual energy source coming from? For God's sakes, in California, I think 80% of our energy is coming from coal. You know, uh, maybe not 80. Um, but you're plugging in to a Tesla thing and like, but where's the energy coming from? It's not directly coming from the sun or anything. Unless you have solar. Yeah. So for example, so then you you have to look at all of that, you, you know, how is everything being mined to create the battery? How sustainable? And then you have to discard the battery. How are they discarded? There's no real uh, recycling of batteries. It just goes into the abyss right? Are they breaking those things down and reusing those minerals? No, not at this point. So that's a horrible, unsustainable, you know, death zone of battery use. As those things run out, they're not indefinite. So that's a thing. Like, for example, I have an electric Harley at home, you know, crazy, right? I used to ride the rumblers for sure. And now I'm, I have an electric one, but that sucker Something feels good about it. That thing's connected directly on my shed to solar energy. So I literally, that's directly from the sun, right? So that feels good. But again, there's a lot of this stuff that we need to look into. So is it an imperfect solution? I think it is. You can make the argument. I mean, I had a, a Range Rover dealer come up to me and said, you know, we did some of the stats on the breakdown of sustainability. And it turns out that our... Range Rover Petro car was more sustainable than the Tesla. Now, I didn't back him up on it. I didn't look into what he was actually saying, but he was pretty convinced that that was the case. And I think there's probably a strong case for that. I, I don't like the idea that there's a superiority to the movement, that I have an electric car, so therefore I'm cool and I'm environmental and I'm green and I'm doing my part. Bullshit. Like that's not, that's a, that's a big jump. So, uh, you know, I have a question mark around all that and that's, that's, I'm going to get into it. I'm going to really get into it. But going back, I have a dream with my friend to use that same motor. There's some, I can't say now because we're under NDAs, but there's a new material that's an old material that we'll be using for the actual engine block that is freaking unbelievable in terms of its sustainability and it doesn't require oil, it doesn't break down, it can go at any temperature, and then you couple that with the nitrogen from the air, and you have an engine that will run indefinitely off of the air. Unless the air gets sucked out of our universe or out of our planet, the, the engine will run indefinitely. So that's what I'm focused on. So imagine taking that unit and shoving it into any muscle car you want. So I have an idea of creating a kit within any car you want and sticking this engine into it. And we're starting to write up plans for that right now. And then so you have all these mechanics, you have all these cars that are out there. Cool, pick a car. We'll pull the old engine out, put that engine in, and it'll be the most sustainable car on the planet. You never have to plug it into anything ever again. 
I love it. That's the, that that to me, that's where I want to go. Is this kind of how you see a lot of the change happening? It's a business. Businesses will lead through innovation and that yeah. will help change the landscape of the market rather than you know, governments just coming in and changing things overnight. They're not gonna do anything. It comes from us. You know, it, it 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 you know, that's where I think there's some incredible companies doing some incredible things and capitalism done the right way. Uh, sustainably, uh, with a win-win-win all the way down the chain. Similar thing that we're doing with Barucas. We're planting trees, we're creating fair trade, and we're getting great freaking nutrient-dense nuts to people. The same thing here. Like I'm on the advisory board of Footprint. These guys are making alternatives to single-use plastic. A billion units of alternatives to plastic went out this year. They're working with Cargo, McDonald's, Pepsi, you know, all these, all these big boys are starting to change. So for me, that's how we change. We change together. I'm not waiting. I'm not holding my breath for, for governments. They're you know, completely different. Those systems, I hope, fail because in some way, because it's, it's ridiculous. You know, you're running around saying you're doing X, Y, and Z for our health. Bullshit. Like we have only 2.5% of Americans that are actually healthy. You know, it's like 199 million people have diabetes in a population of 350 million. Like, you know, and you keep going down the list. Uh, Heart disease, over 300 million. Uh, You know, so it's like, I don't believe you. I don't believe you, people. What I believe is my tribe. What I believe is people that are innovating, people are moving forward, people that are that I'm connecting with that are doing their incredible things. And that's what I believe. We can come together. We can form different, create new systems, create new products, create better things without X, Y, and Z that are, let's not, I want fatal convenience to be redundant. I want it to go away. I never want to do this podcast again because if I if that was the case, we'll have a clean planet, right? So I hope that I never have to do a fatal convenience again at one point. Hey friends, me again. Quick note to let you know, I have a brand new, completely complimentary two-week plant-based meal plan on my website. Inside contains delicious breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snack recipes, along with a complete breakdown of the nutritional information for each. Whether you're looking to add one plant-based meal to your weekly regime or go full plant, I'm sure you'll find this resource helpful. You can get your copy today at plantproof.com forward slash meal plan. That's plantproof.com forward slash meal plan. Okay, let's get back into it. Have you heard of Ryan Holiday? Yeah. He has a a book, The Obstacle is the Way. Mm. And it is very much, I mean, that's speaking about any obstacle or adversity on an individual level, but what we're talking about here at a macro level is a, a big obstacle in the health of the planet. I love what you're talking about because it's inspiring when you flip it and think about the opportunity that all of these problems represent. You know, you can make changes and be part of the solution on an individual level, but also if you have an appetite to innovate and and be an entrepreneur, there is, you know, so many different facets or, or parts of to this problem that you can zoom in on and create such a tangible difference. 100%. Like, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's like I created, you know, a Vortexer because I wanted, I wanted, I wanted activated 
receptive hydrative water, period. Now, okay, let's sell it. Like, you know, that, that's really the genesis of all of it. I went out in 20 years of uncomfortable travel in the middle of nowhere because I wanted great nutrients, great superfoods, great supplements to be in people so they could be healthier. That's really the genesis of all of it. I'm doing down to earth. You don't get paid much on this stuff. You don't get paid much at all to do anything of what Zach and I are doing. It's, it's, you have to be focused on the mission. It's not like I'm retiring on the freaking money. I lose money basically doing the show because I'm not able to do all these other things because it's about something a lot bigger. So what, what is that bigness? It's everything that needs those shifts and those changes. I am like, if anything, my business managers and my people are trying to just trim the fat because I get so excited I get excited about other people's inventions and innovations. And again, I go back to the small town kid. People can lie to me, but I'm not going to change. I'm going to freaking create solutions and find different ways and, and keep freaking going because now more than ever, right? Uh, now more than ever with the whack-a-mole that's going on in the world. Like we just need to create better solutions in, in our health, in the environment and just common sense, uh, you know, and it's time. How does it feel? I mean, you can feel that passion that you have for this and it's so obvious that it's, you know, you're not interested in starting a business and cashing in. You're, you're here for the long haul in terms of not only creating solutions but helping other people better navigate this. Have you had much time to reflect with the success of Down to Earth and partnering with Zach Efron on this show and being able to take all of this, this wisdom and knowledge that you've been uh, sitting on and building over the last few decades and take it to the mainstream? Like, how, how does that feel to you? Uh, I, mean, um, I mean, Zach's a friend, you know? So, so from that perspective... You know, I have compassion for him and it's in his kind of life that he leads because it's 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 a relenting kind of exposure that that he lives. So from that, that's the only way that I see him other than my friend. Um I think I hope that makes sense. But uh so reflecting on that, I, I just I don't take the weight of responsibility, but I take the responsibility. So when I we're doing an episode, we're investigating a thing and we're meeting an individual that we know is going to get a ton of exposure. I immediately go to, dude, are you ready? And what do you need to scale this? This is a good thing. This is going to help a lot of people. And you're a bit playing in this level, but you're about to have a hundred million people be exposed to what you're doing. Let's, let's get you up to speed. And if I had infinite resources, I would be seeding and feeding all of these avenues as much as possible. But I still try, right? I still try to connect people so that they can maximize. Like the first season, Omnam, it was an Icelandic cacao uh, company. And there was an episode where we made chocolates with them, right? And the first season from finished filming to it launching, there was a lot of things that were going on and then Netflix needed a lot of time and it was a new show and they were trying to find time to slate it. So it took two years for it to come out. 
I kind of just let it go. Like, I don't know if it's going to come out. Who knows? Blah, blah, blah. So just let's just move on. So in that time of Omnom, the chocolate company, and there's a point to this, that the show then came out, they were suffering. So they were almost, their business was almost done. Like they weren't getting enough sales. They were laying off employees, legit. And what was so special about this company? Like it was in terms just, of being featured. Well, I mean, listen, it was we were doing a, an episode in Iceland, and it was just this great moment where it kind of hit my lane. It was a conscious company sourcing organic raw cacao, fair traded. And it was this that's what's so great about our episodes. We hit some subjects, but then we also have fun and we do these things. We kind of it's not such a, you know, it doesn't keep hitting you and then sometimes it's just hard to take in some of these documentaries so this was a fun episode of showing people how to create chocolate i've been in and out of chocolate things for a while and uh, so it was a great grassroots company so when the show actually came out two years later these guys they were done and boom right before they were going to close their doors, they got just rushed and saved their business. So that was an example of the exposure helping. And so now when I'm like this season, we're finding these incredible, it could be everything from animal, you know, NGOs that are just going to get stoked, right? Because they're doing incredible work, right? Helping to save a lot of the endemic indigenous uh, and native uh not only plants, but animals here in Australia, they're going to be stoked. But there's businesses that if if they have their things lined up to scale, that's going to help millions of people. So that from that perspective, I try to get involved the best I can based on the kind of energy that I, and the time that I have. So the point is that, you know, I am grateful. And for me, it's not a show, it's a mission. It's directly in line with everything I'm doing anyway. I've got on the side, I've got 20 different projects I'm doing and they all touch in things that we're doing on the show. They all, there's there's several things that I'm doing around power, water, food, shelter, like all of that stuff. And of course, my love for animals and my love for the environment. So the show just highlights and stokes me out because it's just everything that I am doing, we're doing, will do. And the more I learn, the more I just have to have a bigger and better team and more resources and capital and to put towards some of these projects. So, you know, my deal with the universe is like rain down on me with abundance because I have a lot, I write out, I write out where I'm going to put money as soon as it comes in. Like I know what I'm gonna do to help kind of create things. For me, that's that's kind of living, you know? With that exposure and that awareness comes that responsibility. And I just wanna continue to find the people, places, and things that are doing the same thing. Cause I don't wanna feel like I'm doing it by myself cause I'm not. I wanna come together. And that's like when you meet people, I met several this season, you look at them going, uh, I know you and let's, we're going to do something like you it's can cool. feel it. Yeah. How would you compare 
season two, not from a sort of detailed content point of view to season one. And was it, well, I mean, what's it like traveling with Zac Efron? He's such a huge name. Was there a difference in terms of traveling in America with him versus traveling here in Australia? Mm. So number one, the difference of season one and season two, season one, we went to a country, an episode basically. So Iceland was an episode from start to finish. And then it was all centered around health and the environment, but it was kind of bookend. Here's that episode, now we go to France, and there's that episode, and you go to London, and there's that episode, and we go to Peru, and there's that episode, and we go to Puerto Rico, and there's that episode, you know, and go to Costa Rica, and there's that episode. And this one, Australian, was like, we had our topics, but there was so much through line that, of course, the through line was Australia, but there were, the topics were just kept coming up. So the Aboriginal voice is very strong. It's fucking That's amazing. amazing. Like blown away. So Glad many, to hear that. Oh, man. It is. I think we will do that proud. Did we talk to the 250 mobs around Australia? No. We did our best to talk to the ones that we could. And we're going to give them their voice. So we're not even going to voice over on that one. It's going to be them and them telling their story. So, because who are we to try to tell a very complicated story? But man, we were received in such a way that would, that would almost stretch your ability to receive love. And, and that to me says a lot about a people. When they've been through so much and have so much taken and they're fighting for their own, their own, here's my sovereignty again. But they would receive you like a brother and a sister and a family, like in, over and over and over again. So that was extraordinary. So there's, there's going to be a nice freaking flow to this season in Australia that's going to be a lot of similar connecting points, but also very different environments. And, you know, speak to Zach the only reason we're doing this is because he cares. Like, again, the whole, this happened because he reached out to me on Rich Roll's podcast. I was trading messages with Rich yesterday. Oh, he yeah. said to say hi. Oh, nice. And he misses you. Yeah, right on. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to see him soon, man. Um, yeah, so I was on a podcast, uh, his podcast a f- few years. Early days. Yeah, early days. And then um, Zach had heard me and something about the way I was living and what I did, he want, he reached out. And uh, we had lunch and we just talked as dudes. Because I didn't, I didn't know Zach, you know, from movies. I mean, I knew him, but I didn't watch any of his stuff. So, but, um, so I just sat down with and, and, you know, he cared and his heart is there. And he wanted to use what he has to go in a direction that, that is worth a life well lived. And so he, <laughs> long story short, we connected and, you know, he feels like a little brother. And um, next thing you know, we have a freaking show. And again, I was just telling him last night at the rap party, uh, and he was telling me it was kind of emotional because it's like, um, 
I said, like, listen, if you didn't care about this stuff, there's no way I would be here. I didn't, I, there's no way. Cause I don't want to hang out with a celebrity. I just don't, I, I, I don't want to hang out with a celebrity who's not real and is not cool and is not caring and is not, not to be a pun, but down to earth. And Zach is, he's just, a, 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 he's just a, a dude that was flung in the middle of this at 15 and is doing his best to be at superstardom for more than half of his life. And there's some challenges to that. But I'm telling you, when we get out in the middle of nowhere and we've been all over Australia, he's freaking stoked and digging it. Um, so it's it's a pleasure. Like, you know, we just got we just got closer and closer uh, in this episode. I'm, I'm gonna miss the hell out of him. And he's got a couple movies to do, and he's got that part. But he de- he definitely stretches him to do this kind of thing too, because he's he gets to be him which he's not used to. Mm. He's always having to kind of- Play a character. Play a character and also not show all of that stuff because you don't know what people take. You know, people- Has it been easier for him to travel around Australia or from a sort of public profile point of view or pretty much the same? It's just nuts. Yeah. Um, Luckily, we've had uh, some very good and now close friends who are security with us um, and that helped out a lot. We didn't last season. We had to get security in certain locations because it would just, the word would get out and it would just get bonkers. And then Zach has, he's like a prisoner to that situation. He can't really do anything or go out because it's just so full on. Um, So it's very helpful to have someone who's got that side of that and could take that off of his plate because it would be stressful. So someone was like making sure that you know, in and out of hotels efficiently and no one's going to see him and um, so no one's going to follow us, which all that shit happens. Mm-hmm. And then you have someone to go, you know, take care of that stuff. So, but but uh, for the most part, that really wasn't an issue. It was just us doing our thing and uh, uh, being in some extraordinary situations here in Australia with some extraordinary people, like just... I, I can't wait. I can't wait to watch it. Is it. Do you think there'll be a season three or that's to be confirmed? It, it'll be, it's to be confirmed. Nothing, you know, obviously that's not confirmed yet, but do we want it? Fuck yeah, <laughs> we want it. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we want it. The world, you know, the more we know, the more we realize we want to keep digging in. And uh, you know, it's that's a humbling thing too. That's not like, that's not an ego thing. That's like, you realize like, oh, yeah, you know, there's, there's some people suffering that no one knows about. There's, there's, there's parts of the story of the environment and of health that we can illuminate that maybe people need to be more aware of. That's what I love about your partnership with Zach is that you're, you complement each other so well mm. and you're bringing this like lifetime experience and passion and, um, you know, he is also very interested from the sounds of it in these topics but his profile allows the show just to reach, you know, th- this a lot of this information is not that sexy, you know, but, but I imagine having him involved just reaches so many televisions around the world, people who may not ordinarily 
be sort of open to having this conversation or listening to this information. Yeah. Well, the cool thing is you're, you're absolutely right. And I'm forever grateful for him to, to do that. Uh, and, and again, he cares about it or else there wouldn't be a show. Uh, I wouldn't be involved. But it does bring, you know, first season, the, the response of people were maybe they're tuning in because they wanted to watch Zach do something completely different. But then they walk away and they were touched and they were moved and they wanted to change their lives and they wanted to take action towards things that are better for themselves and the planet. Dude, that kind of information comes to you hundreds of thousands of times that it did on the first season. You're like, whoa. And this wasn't the same people beating the drum. These were people that were learning something maybe for the first time. And they were like, boom, their minds were blown and they were open, their hearts opened up. And from nine years old to 70, all sitting in the room, watching it at the same time kind of thing, all enjoying it, all getting something from it. Dude, that, and I have to give the kudos to the production company, the the, the team, the on the ground, the editors, the... The, the, it infu- I knew there was something when I know that those people weren't necessarily in this world, which I didn't expect them to be. But when they were editing, when they were there on, on the ground with us, when their lives were changing as a result, when the camera guys come up to me and said, dude, every time you open your mouth, I'm learning something. Every time we interview something, I'm the first person that's seeing this. And I'm like one of the DPs. Said that last Good night. Feedback. Said that last night. He goes, second, you know, same guys from first season. They're like, dude, I'm learning something every day. This is unbelievable. This is the best show I've ever done. Like it means so much. It's way more than a paycheck. It's awesome. Did you ever have any doubt? Did you ever at the start, like when you started recording this, was oh. there doubt as to whether you'd be good at it and whether you'd work with Zach and whether people wanted to hear from you? hundred percent. Like I, I have I have a lot of confidence in myself in terms of just like diving into and sharing from my heart, from my passion, from my from my experience. Turn a camera on, I'll let it fucking rip. When <laughs> the first day of filming, you know, obviously Zach and I connected, we're friends and and he walked us in and so we are we had a connection. Had to be a connection. The whole team Zach even said last night, he goes, you know how hard it was to get you into the deal? Because essentially me coming in was less for everyone else because I own part of the show with Zach and other people. And so so everyone was like, who is this dude? You just met him and now it's months, but like, and you want to change this whole show? Like, because they had this show that wasn't something he was passionate about and it had some characteristics, but it wasn't this show. And uh, it was a melding of the health and the environment that I was bringing into this uh, traveling around the world thing. So it worked perfectly. And yeah, man, when I, so we got the deal done. It was extraordinary on Zach's front to just basically tell everyone, managers and attorneys and production companies, like, no, we're bringing Darren in. So I know that that was hard for him. But he was obviously him. So, and then the day of shooting, first couple of days of shooting, when I was in front of, I'd been working on the storylines and stuff 
and I was going down the rabbit hole. I was pulling in colleagues. Like I had Dr. Scherze's in there. I had Longo, which still made it in that sense. But I had a lineup of doctors and I had uh, Dr. Gerald Pollock in the water episode. And I had another guy that I interviewed in the water. I had all these people lined up for the show. We never used hardly any of them because the compromise had to be this way that we told the story that was pulling back, not out of compromise, just out of lessening the intensity of the information. Got to reach the, the, the mainstream. So that was important for me. It wasn't compromising the message. It was just not giving as much of, of it. And well, if you go too deep and, and don't reach anyone, exactly. what good is it? But before I even got to that point, I almost quit. You thought, this is not for me. I don't want to be involved. Like, this is going to be something because I get there and I'm I'm usually superfood hunting. I've had cameras with me before. And I'm leading and I'm just going and I'm like going, shit. So you felt like you were compromising a bit too much on... I didn't know because I didn't know the end result. And so it was like very confronting, straight, radically honest conversations with the head of production, uh, Michael uh, and I. And we love each other now because we're yin and yang. And it's actually plays really well, but we absolutely freaking respect each other. I totally respect him. And, and he can weave the story and I'll hold true to certain things. So that, that kind of alchemy just played brilliantly. So I didn't quit, right? I didn't quit on that first episode. I stuck it out and thank God I did. And we still have that healthy tension do you remember what they, they said to you? Like, how did they reassure you? What was it that made you you go, okay, I'm, this doesn't feel quite right, but it's going to work out? It was, um, I think I recorded a video the night after filming and I just sent it to him. I was just kind of like letting it rip. And then that created a conversation. And then I heard I heard what he said and I knew from that conversation that it wasn't that the message wasn't important and that, you know how, it's not the same thing, but you know how if a bully is bullying you and you don't stand up for yourself, he's going to keep bullying you. Michael wasn't bullying me. It was the, if I didn't completely start ripping open my chest and bearing my soul and my heart of how much all of this means to me, he wouldn't have had that understanding of how much that meant to me and how real, real to the core of me that all of that is. So just by that act of being vulnerable, that's and then him being vulnerable and going, listen, in order for us to tell the story that can be received we have to do these kind of things. And then, you know, and then it started opening up. He got real. And we've had, we've had two or three very deep. I actually record. I'm having a down-to-earth podcast. I have a behind the scenes that I recorded all this stuff that I'm gonna we're gonna release before the show's out, even. And so we have Michael, even in the second season, us having some fucking great conversations. Um, so it still exists in a healthy powerful respectful way brings a balance that you need cool man um awesome to have you here take my hat off to you and, and zach i haven't watched 
any of them clearly yet because I've been here in Australia. But from what I've read, it's gone gangbusters and you've done such a tremendous job with the entire team taking this message that can sometimes be unpalatable and for the mainstream. And, and here it is now, one of the top shows on Netflix and just reaching hundreds of millions of people around the world. It's, it's mind-blowing. So I hope that I hope you're really proud. You should be very proud of what you've done. And I'm looking forward to seeing season one and then what you guys got up to here in Australia. I can't let you go without, um, we haven't talked much about the way that you fuel yourself, but you're on camera here and anyone who knows you will know that you're jacked. And uh, Six, one you and know, you, you've been fueling yourself on nothing but plants for how long now? It's got to be 15, 17 years. 15, 17 years. So a long time. Mm. Um, and I'm wondering, like, on the on the show and on the set and, and here in Australia, and, you know, how has that been received? Do you find people around you are very interested in the way that you eat when they look at you and see how big you are and strong? Yeah, it's funny because naturally I don't push either. I'm not a plant-based pusher. Like, you ask me a question, I'll answer you, but... But everyone on the set, Michael started it. We were having a conversation. I think we we're I was recording something just like cool behind the scenes stuff. And we were talking about one of the times where we had some confronting stuff that was going on in the show that I can't really talk about yet. But but out of the blue, he says, Hey, you know what? And he knows he needs to be healthier. You know what? I am going to, from the whole shoot, I'm going to go, I think vegan's too intense. I'm going to go vegetarian once a week. I'm like, oh, awesome. That's great. That's a great freaking start. And then everyone in the car, in that car, there was like 20 in the whole crew, but there was like six or seven. They all said yes. They all and so, so listen, you know, the crew is getting us meals and all of that stuff. And by the end of it, the security guy and Zach, they're just go, just get, just get whatever Darren's getting. So, and Zach loves eating, but you know, he does whatever he does, but he, he really loves plants and he really loves eating mostly that, but uh, he's on his own journey and I don't judge that either. So, so the, the, the non-judging I believe wins. I do too. I really and lead by example. Hundred percent. And 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 it was so sweet. Uh, even last night, uh, the crew and Zach was saying how consistent I am, and the attitude. And everyone had a great attitude on the thing. But but again, I, I, yeah, it, it was beautiful just to watch that because I wasn't pushing any of it. But just the way working out every day, finding a way eating what I was eating everywhere. I think there's something in just, even if there was no questions asked, just spending time with someone who only eats plants, who's fit and thriving, and just knowing that you you got on with that person and knowing that that's possible, I think that in and of itself is is hugely important for yeah. many people to then go, oh, you know, maybe my stereotypical sort of view of of people that eat that way may not be completely accurate. 100%. And, you know, listen, Zach and I worked out a bunch too together and, you know, I can I can crush it. Let's just leave I it at that. Look at those biceps. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it was really fun. And, and at the same time, I, I couldn't eat as much as I was burning. 
So I, I feel like I, I, I'm going to definitely eat a ton of plants when I get home. Really okay. can just get we'll back. Get you started tonight. I got something sort of. Oh, dude. I'm so um, excited for Eden, brother. Thank Jeez. you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Um, let's do this again. For sure. And uh, yeah, let's make this a regular thing. Maybe next time I'll uh, I'll be in Los Angeles. We'll see what happens. It'll be great. Yeah, maybe we can do like a, I can launch some fatal conveniences and then we can spin up it and we can do a little live or whatever. Yeah. We can get creative. We'll go deep. Thanks, man. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. There we go, friends. Some food for thought there. As I said in the introduction, some of these areas, water, fluoride, etc., I want to dive deeper into in upcoming episodes. So consider today a bit of a conversation starter. Darren certainly has given us plenty to think about, which I love. There really is no reason why we should just accept everything on face value, that everything in our lives is positive for our health. And conversations like this are important for fueling us to think more deeply and research things perhaps with a little more intent. So I hope you found it interesting. Please do connect with Darren and I on the socials. We would love to continue this conversation with you. You can find Darren at Darren Olien, D-A-R-I-N-O-L-I-E-N on Instagram and me at plant underscore proof on Instagram or Twitter. If you're in the USA and haven't checked out Down to Earth, please do. You can find it on Netflix. And if you're in Australia, hold tight. It's coming soon. That's all for today. Thanks again for hanging out with me. I love you. I appreciate you. And I look forward to doing this again next week. Until then, more plants, my friends, more plants. And don't forget to order my book, A Gift to Yourself and the Planet.